Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I'm Tim Fitzgerald at GoPowerCat.com. And I'm Michael Swain of Fog.net. This is a replay of WIBW show The Drive. Here's this week's episode on the 24-7 Sports Podcast Network. Good evening, Wildcat and Jayhawk fans, and welcome to The Drive, sponsored by Briggs Auto Group. I am Tim Fitzgerald at GoPowerCat.com. The man across the studio from me is Michael Swain of Fog.net. And Michael, in honor of KU's victory, mm. I'm wearing blue. Oh. We're wearing blue. And in honor of K-State's performance, I didn't put on a collar. I didn't come fully prepared. Unprofessional. Wait. Yeah. I just, that's the way I'm going to roll this week. I'm just going to be, I might take my pants off. Oh, Okay. <laughs> yeah, that escalated quickly. You can interact with us on social media at facebook.com slash the drive show on Twitter at the drive 13. And of course, answer our weekly poll question and make your game predictions on our Twitter page. And remember, if you ever miss an episode of the drive, you can listen to an audio only version that appears each Monday morning in the form of a podcast at gopowercat.com and fog.net. We start things off with our two-minute drill. Thankfully, my pants don't show. The first segment of the two-minute drill is sponsored by Vanderbilt's Your Work Boot Center. All right, Fitz, I know your professional cap is back on. So coming off a of bye week, Kansas State looked unimpressive at Oklahoma State, losing 29-21 to the once-struggling Cowboys. So, Fitz, I mean, what in the world went wrong on Friday night? I'll just say this. Whatever Chris Kleiman's doing during his off weeks, he's got to do something different because I think they're now 1-3 in, in non-pandemic season off week games after off weeks. It just – K-State looked out of sorts from the very start, offensively and defensively. So, for the first four games of the season, K-State has scored a touchdown on their first possession. And it's led Chris Kleiman to go against the analytics and decide to start taking the ball when they win the toss. The analytics would say to defer so that you get the ball to start the second half. Well, that works great if you score a touchdown, but K-State went three and out. And then, then Oklahoma State, that has been struggling so much as of late, went on a 15-play drive to score a touchdown to start the game for the Cowboys, and that pretty much defined the contest. Will Howard threw three interceptions. He wasn't great at all. He ran the ball fairly well, which brings up some questions about was he the right quarterback for this game? We'll get to that later. But I tell you this, K-State just looked ill-prepared and unmotivated for this game, and that is troubling because this was a game not only should have K-State won, but they should have handled it without much trouble. In fact, as bad as K-State played in the contest, they had the ball twice at the end with an opportunity to at least tie the score. They failed both times, which kind of sums up the day for K-State. Defensively, they were exposed, giving up a lot of slant patterns, and Oklahoma, just State, Oklahoma State just picked them apart almost at will. 
In fact, Oklahoma State's Mike Gundy did a great job in the off week of not only mending his locker room and preparing his team mentally for the game, but putting in enough spice into the game plan that it baffled K-State for far too long. This was a bad loss. Maybe it was just an outlier, or maybe it's a sign of things to come. I know this. Chris Kleiman wasn't very happy with his team over the weekend, and why should he be? Yeah, if I think so much of this game revolves around that pick six, right? Yeah. It ends up being an eight-point game, and you take away a huge momentum swing like that, and this is a game K-State probably wins if yeah. there's not that pick six there. So I think obviously Will Howard, I think we'll talk about him more a little bit later. Yeah, he pressed quite a bit uh, throughout the course of the game. Yeah. Jason Bean, KU's backup, got the start for KU but didn't need to do much as KU blew out UCF 51-22. Was this the perfect response for KU following the loss to Texas last week? It really was, and something I found so interesting post-game was the fact that Lance Leipold kind of verbalized that he was concerned. He wasn't sure how the team was going to respond to a, a really disappointing loss to Texas where KU did not look like the KU team I think we've seen over the last 14 months. And yet Kansas comes out in this game against UCF, a team that Kansas is bigger than on both sides of the ball, more physical, and they executed their game plan to a T. UCF went up tempo. They had some quarterback issues with John Rice Plumley coming in, starting, then tweaking his knee again. Then Timmy McLean came back in. But KU took advantage of that and got stops early in the game. And then that offense just controlled the clock, drained it, really, really held on to the ball. And you saw UCF wear down, and they were terrible tackling KU's physical running backs. They had KU at 185 yards after contact, according to Pro Football Focus. That's making about 45% of their total yardage on the day. I think it just goes to show you how terrible UCF was on the defensive side of the ball. And eventually, KU gets up by 31 points. And from there, it was an even game until the end where UCF was able to get some momentum on offense. They used some gimmicky stuff in the third quarter to get back. But generally, I think it's one of the most complete performances Kansas has had, right? You look at the running game, that was really good. Jason Bean, when he was called upon, was solid. And I think for me, the most craziest stat of this whole game Jason Bean threw the ball three times in the second half, and KU gained almost 300 yards in the second half. It goes to show you how dominant Kansas was in the trenches, that UCF knew they were going to run the ball. Everybody in the press box and in the stadium knew they were going to run the ball, and UCF couldn't do anything about it. So generally, it's the perfect response for KU. Now they've got a lot of momentum and confidence heading into a road game against Oklahoma State. So for KU, put it all together. We'll see what happens with Jalen Daniels, but as a team performance, it's the perfect response and talk about rebounding, right? KU, I think, struggled the rebound last season, especially after losing Jalen Daniels to rebound like they did this time without Daniels speaks a lot about the character of the team. I don't intend to downplay the significance of KU's victory, but I feel like you and I could have designed the game plan. Run the ball at UCF because they're awful. They really are fits, and the fact that everybody knew K was going to go in the game, out-physical them, run the ball, UCF seemed unprepared. It's a terrible coaching job this game was. Uh, it was it's, it's a mess because Baylor's not very good, and they just beat UCF too, so I, I don't even know what to say at this point about the Knights. They are in big trouble. They really are. They really are. Well, let's move to two teams that are on their way out of the conference. Texas and Oklahoma played a thriller on Saturday with Oklahoma emerging victorious. What do we learn about these two teams on Saturday, Fitz? Well, we learned that uh, they might be the elite of the conference, but I'm still not overly impressed. Yes, I said it. I, I'm not sure they're that elite. 
But I'll say this, Oklahoma is more legit than I thought. After playing no power fives in the non-conference and opening with Cincinnati and Iowa State, I rightfully had some doubts that Oklahoma was real. They played a great game. But still, I see flaws in these teams that can be exploded, exploited. What I don't see is many physical shortcomings. You see that in a lot of Big 12 teams. They just have some positions where they're just not very athletically adept. These teams, Michael, are really gifted mm. in terms of recruiting talent. But they're still not great. Now, I'm not sure if this was a good loss or a bad loss for the Big 12 or when Texas was in the national title picture and now they're kind of falling out. But I know this. If you look at Oklahoma's schedule, Kansas is clearly the only obstacle in front of them, at least I feel that way, looking down the road. They have an incredibly soft schedule this season, and they're going to take advantage of it. It's entirely possible they go unbeaten in the non-comp or the entire conference season and still aren't very good. We'll see. Someone has to play them in Arlington later, and maybe it will be Kansas or Kansas State or Texas but I don't think Oklahoma is all that. I'm impressed, but not blown away. Yeah, I tend to agree. And I think at least when I look at Oklahoma, right, you're right, their schedule's very light. And it's weird to get used to this whole deal where you don't play everybody and everybody doesn't play everybody. But I think for me, I look at this game and part of me kind of wants to just throw it out. The Red River shootout, showdown, whatever you want to call it, is so much of a one-off game, right? Neutral site. It's a big rivalry yep. game for both teams that a part of me thinks, I don't know if this is going to weigh too much into my mind when I think about Texas long term. For me, I think Quinn Ewers is probably the big story here. He wasn't great. And for Texas to win a national title or compete to make the college football playoff, they need greatness at the quarterback position. Yes, they do. Now, a quick look at your poll question results. The poll questions are brought to you by Midland Exteriors. Love the home you live in. Call today for a free estimate. All right, last week's question was, are Texas and Oklahoma going to make up the final Big 12 championship game of this era? Yes, got 21% of the vote, and no, got 79% of the vote. I will say, this result probably makes that a little bit more likely. Yeah, I think people were voting for their hearts a little bit here. Mm -hmm. This week's question is this. We're going to get to this later in the show. Who should start a quarterback for K-State this week? Will Howard or Avery Johnson vote on our Twitter page at the Drive 13? All right, that will do it for this half of the two-minute drill, but we'll be right back with more on KU and K-State on the Drive. Welcome back to the Drive. We have returned, and I've been told I have to wear pants. It's a damn shame. As we continue our weekly two-minute drill, poor Michael, this segment of the two-minute drill is sponsored by Copeland Insurance Agency, part of your community for more than 60 years. All right, Fitz, Will Howard really struggled at Oklahoma State, leading a lot of fans to call for true freshman quarterback Avery Johnson to take over. Is there a quarterback controversy at Kansas State? I guess it comes down to how do you measure a controversy? If it's generated by fans, yeah, there is. In reality, no, there isn't. Will Howard will start at Texas Tech. Uh, my question here isn't, though, should Will Howard be the starting quarterback? He's earned that. He won a Big 12 championship last year. And while it looks like maybe he's revert to what he was like more in his sophomore year rather than his junior year, he's still a very capable quarterback. Here's where I have my question. You have a very, very athletic backup quarterback. 
And the coaching mantra is typically get your best athletes on the field. Well, by all measurements that I've been shared, Avery Johnson is one of the best athletes. They probably should find a few ways to use him. They did that, Michael, at Missouri. They designed some running plays, some running schemes to put him in the game without putting him in a position to fail with throwing the ball on the road. Well, I, I looked at how this game played out for Kansas State against Oklahoma State, and Will Howard was dreadful throwing the ball, so they pretty much tried to lean on the running game and Will Howard running the ball. In fact, he was their leading rusher at 10 carries for more than 100 yards. Part of that was a 70-yard run where he was tackled at, you know, right outside the goal line. Well, if you're going to run the ball from the quarterback position, maybe you should put in the hyper-athlete who could really run the ball and break into the open field and get away. Maybe you should make Oklahoma State adapt its defense to handle what Avery Johnson can do and maybe then let him throw it a little bit. I'm not saying you should have pulled Will Howard permanently. I'm saying you should have maybe given Avery a shot to see what would happen if he got into that game and started running the ball and mixing in a little pass. Just a sampling. Maybe see if it worked. And if it didn't, you go back to Will Howard. And if Oklahoma State couldn't stop it, then you leave in Avery. Every game is a little bit different, and sometimes you have to use different tools in your repertoire to go attack the opponent. Avery Johnson could have helped K-State maybe win this game, but we'll never know for sure because they didn't let him on the field. Yeah, I think that's one thing that you know KU has done a really good job of, right? They've got a good athletic quarterback in Jason Bean. They find ways to fold him into the offense. Yeah. I think the one issue is, is Jason Bean is a, was a junior last year, a senior now. Yeah. Avery Johnson's still a freshman, and right. I think you look at him physically, right? He does look like a guy that is in his first year in a strength conditioning program. Yeah. So I think trying to find that balance of, hey, well, how can we use this guy to help us, but also making sure that his long-term development isn't hindered, that's a tough balance to try and find. If the answer for him not playing was we're attempting to redshirt him, mm -hmm. then I've got questions because in this day and age, you got to play your guys. You, you just can't count on a redshirt, and you can't count on them being healthy the next three, four years. They might need that redshirt later on. Yeah, plus and if Adrian, Avery Johnson becomes what I think people think he can be, he's not staying in college for five years. You got it. Michael, Kansas is one win away from bowl eligibility as it heads to Oklahoma State. How big would it be to win in Stillwater for KU? I mean, so many different ways it would be huge fits. You, you look at the immediate impact, it would mean KU won their first game in Stillwater since 2007. We've seen KU kind of check these boxes off under Lance Leifold. First, it was winning their first game in Austin. Last year, it was winning their first game in West Virginia. And to break this streak in Stillwater, I think would be so huge. And you talk about the medium-term impact, well, KU then would go into the bye week ranked and therefore come out of the bye week ranked and face a ranked Oklahoma team. And that would probably also mean maybe Big Noon kickoff gives a look to that game and heading to KU for that or maybe college game day looks at returning. There is not a lot of high quality games during that week. There's a lot of bye weeks going on. So for KU, there's also an opportunity here if KU can get this sixth win that they would be able to have another huge national stage and potentially have Jalen Daniels back healthy to play. And then you want to look in the long term, right? This is a program that has made back-to-back -back bowl games once in the last 25 years, right? This is a team that needs to consistently stack bowl games so they can consistently stack that developmental time in December. 
I think you've seen it this year where this team looks so much better physically, so much more cohesive. And I think a part of that is because they got those 10 to 15 practices in December, and then they're able to carry it over into spring ball. And that feeds into fall camp. And so it becomes kind of this big snowball that starts to build and build and build and gain momentum as KU continues to work on being a developmental program. So for KU, right, this is all so much wrapped in one, right? The short term of getting that first win in a long time in Stillwater against a team that is trending up, getting the chance to maybe have an even bigger stage at home against Oklahoma, that's big. But again, long-term impact. Being a consistent bowl team is what Lance Leipold wants this program to be. And to make back-to-back -back bowl games in year two and year three, that's a huge step in the right direction for this program is going to help in so many ways down the road. Yeah, it's impressive what he's done. And and right now with the state of the Big 12, which we're about to get into, mm -hmm. KU's got a lot of wins left on this schedule. This is really going to be an impressive season for the Jayhawks. And now we step out of bounds, and Out of Bounds is brought to you by Darius Corner Market. We love local, and we are local for you. All right, Fitz, on the topic of the Big 12, it's descending into chaos. <clears throat> is this good or bad for the conference? I I think it's fun, but I think it's bad. I think it's bad in your last year of Oklahoma and Texas to having this utter mess of a conference. Uh, I was telling you after when we were going on the air here that the weird thing is if K-State finds itself and gets back to the way they play, if they can start running the table, including winning at Texas, I know that's a lot to ask. KU-K-State meeting in the 11th game of the season – could be for a spot in the Big 12 title game. That's how wacky this season is. But look what's happening. We've got teams rolling into places and losing when they should win and winning when they should lose. And I don't even know what to think. I thought UCF would be the best of the newcomers. They might be the worst because their defense is so bad and yet they're very athletic and talented. I don't quite get what's going on with some of the new schools. They eventually have to beat one of the returning members mm -hmm. of the Big 12 because they're all still winless. They've only beaten each other. It's, it's an, it's, Michael, help me. I don't even know what to say about this conference. It's such a mess. And I don't yeah. even think Oklahoma and Texas are all that great. I don't think anyone in college football is. I agree, and I think I look at this at least for the newcomers, right? It's gonna take time, right? They, in the trenches, have been recruiting group of five talent, right, outside of BYU. So for Cincinnati, Houston, UCF, it's gonna take time. And then you look at the other schools, I think there's a lot of transition going on. TCU's trying to figure out how to move on after a, a season where they swung above their weight. Iowa State's trying to move on from the Brock Purdy era. You've got KU and K-State both trending up as programs. Oklahoma State, Baylor in a little bit of turmoil. I think in two years we'll look and the conference is going to be a lot stronger because a lot of these teams will have figured it out and they'll be able to recruit at a higher level more consistently. So I think it's just a conference that right now is kind of in a transition phase and even Texas and Oklahoma are kind of going through that themselves. Yeah, they really are. This is awkward. And I'll say this, Texas and Oklahoma are more settled at quarterback maybe than anyone else in the conference right now. And I think that plays a big role totally. in them being the two best teams. Well, now let's hear from our fans. Our fan question is sponsored by Metalark. Retirement awaits in Manhattan where you can live your way every day. Here's this week's fan question. Is KU better than K-State this season? That is from Jay in Lawrence. I'm going to kick this can down the road. I think we'll <laughs> know a lot more kind of after KU's bio when they play Oklahoma. I think right now if the two teams played, I think I'd like KU's chances, mm -hmm. right, if you're talking about it being at home for KU. But, look, we don't play games right now. This game is going to be played in late November. So we'll have to see. But I think KU at least is going to have the best shot at beating K-State as it's had in a long time. A lot of football to be played. Mm -hmm. Teams can 
go up and down quite a bit from week to week in this conference. Yeah, well, remember to ask us your questions on our Facebook page and on Twitter at The Drive 13. When we return, we'll look at our predictions here on The Drive. Welcome back to The Drive, fueled by BriggsAuto.com. It's time to head down the home stretch of this week's show, and now let's look at our predictions. I don't really want to. Predictions are brought to you by Kites, meeting your friends at Kites since 1954. Remember to make your weekly predictions on our Twitter page. Um, <clears throat> I, I decided to be generous this week and, and come back to the pack. I volunteered to make this more competitive. Uh, we can see it tightening up. Uh, Michael had a good week. I had a bad week. The fans were in between. Let's put it that way. Here's this week's picks. We're going to start with Kansas and Oklahoma State. And for the every line was kind of in flux and pretty close. We made them all pick Kansas Ooh. and Oklahoma State, who wins? I'll take KU. Who are you going to take? I'll take Oklahoma State just because I'm living in the moment. And Oklahoma State's good at this particular moment. That's a fair way to go. Yeah. Next up, we'll go to Lubbock, where it's K-State at Texas Tech. I think Texas Tech is kind of turning it around. They're figuring it out. I'll take them to win. I'm now not living in the moment. I will take K-State to win this game. I think K-State will bounce back. And our final game is another pick em. Iowa State at Cincinnati. Michael, who do you got? Give me my Cyclones. I oh. don't think they're very good, but they'll figure it out. At Cincinnati, I'm showing some home field faith in you. Just win. Again, make your prediction on our Twitter page at the Drive 13. And now it's time for our On the Clock segment. On the Clock is sponsored by Carpet One. Buy local for a strong local community, and I mean that. Let's start with Michael Swain of Fog.net. Well, Fitz, late night in the fog was last Friday, and I have a feeling next year it's going to look a little bit different because Bill Self was quite upset with what he saw from his team on Friday night. Usually the scrimmage is, you know, not great basketball, but the guys are trying hard, and it didn't seem like that was the case this year. Bill Self kind of let that be known on the broadcast on ESPN Plus and in his post-game media availability. Guys were jumping on each other's backs for piggyback rides during the scrimmage. There were a lot of turnovers. It was sloppy. This is not what Bill Self wants it to be, and I think it's still a show for the fans, right? That's what it's all about, but it's going to change next year because I think Bill Self is going to try and get it back on track, and it's hard to make sure that everybody's on the same page when you've got a new roster, and that's going to continue as the portal plays an impact in college basketball. Michael, I kind of feel like once you start televising these things, they become less of the event. Mm. You know what I mean? You know, they're kind of for the fans in that moment, and, yeah, I think that's gotten a little bit too big. Well, I want to talk about the way fans and even the media overreacts to a good performance and a bad performance. Right now, K-State fans feel like their team is the worst football team in the history of K-State football. Let me assure you they're not. Um, and they, they think the season is over. All of a sudden, those same people who were talking about playing in the Big 12 championship, if you get some breaks and win the games you should win, are now talking about this might be a 6-6 six and six team. Will you folks just calm down? Every week in this conference is self-contained. And I mean that, and I've been saying that for years. You win, you lose, you just move on to the next game. That's it for this week's edition of The Drive. We'll see you next week right here and all week on social media.